0: I'm not sure when the word stage fright comes into play, but apparently it isn't at ages four through 11. (laughs) They looked extremely comfortable up here. In the text we just read, Jesus meets a woman at a well. And for some of us, this might be the only story we know of a man meeting a woman at a well, right here in John 4. But I'd like to say that this isn't the first time the disciples or the readers, the original readers of John's Gospel, this isn't the first time they've heard a story about a man meeting a woman at a well. In fact, the first story that they would likely be very familiar with is a story that goes way back to the beginning. So I'm going over here because this symbolizes the beginning, right? I'm going all the way back to Genesis, the first book. It's right about in the middle of Genesis, Genesis chapter 24. And we get this story of Abraham, who we've already met. And Abraham is maybe the biggest name for any ancient Israelite, any Israelite living in Jerusalem, or in Israel in the first century. In that story in Genesis 24, in this story, Abraham is old. He was old when he had his son Isaac. At this point, he's even older. And he's looking for a wife for his son Isaac. And so Abraham calls in his most trusted servant, And says, Will you promise to go to the land that I grew up at, where I'm from, and find a wife for my son Isaac? So his servant goes off, and where do you think he meets this woman who's going to become the wife for Isaac? He goes on a long journey, and he meets her at a well. That's interesting. Only five chapters later, that's Genesis 24. Genesis 29, we get another well story. This time, it's Jacob. Right, three huge names we're talking about, right? Abraham found a wife for his son, Isaac. Now, here we are with Jacob in Genesis 29. Jacob's on the run. He is also on a long journey. He comes to a well. And at that well, when he arrives, who comes walking towards him? But Rachel, a woman who he's going to fall in love with and marry. And he meets her at a well. There's another story, another name maybe you've heard of. Certainly, any first century Jew knew this name well. Well, it's in Exodus 2, and it's Moses. And Moses also is on the run and goes on a long journey and comes to a well. And all the daughters of his future father-in-law come out to the well. And eventually he gets invited back to their home and there he marries one of the daughters. So he meets his wife with all her sisters at the well also. Those are some big names. (laughs) That's Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses. And now, boom, here we are in John 4. And John presents this story that he saw with his own eyes that Jesus was meeting a woman at a well. Well, what was going on? In case we're thinking, oh, we're reading too much into this, I don't think John wants us to pick up on this meeting your future wife at the well scene. John gives us more hints. In John chapter 2, the first miracle that Jesus does is where? At a wedding. And what does he do? He turns water into wine. Whose responsibility is it to provide the wine at a wedding in first-century Israel? Well, we get some insight into that. When the master of ceremonies at that wedding came and got the husband and said, you've saved the best wine for last. Usually, people bring out the good wine first and then bring out the cheaper stuff at the end. He approaches the husband thinking the husband has provided this rich wine. When in fact, it's Jesus who in John chapter 2 is playing the role of the husband by providing the wine. In John chapter 3, many of John the Baptist's disciples have begun to follow Jesus. In response to this, John the Baptist, some of his disciples come up and say, look, all your disciples are leaving you and they're following Jesus. And John the Baptist says, Oh, don't worry about it. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. So John makes this connection for us through John the Baptist, that the bride, those who believe, those who are God's people who follow Jesus, they are the bride. And Jesus is the bridegroom. He's the groom. He's the husband of the bride. That what we get here in John chapter 4 is that Jesus is playing out an engagement scene for us. That's why when the disciples come, it says they were surprised That word is translated surprised here in the NIV, but for those of you who read the NAS or the RSV, just other solid translations, it says they marveled. What were they marveling at? Some might say because Jesus was talking to a Samaritan woman. Possibly. But I'm not sure that's worthy of marveling at, which is probably why they want to use the word surprised. I think what we're getting a clear picture of, and what the disciples were so surprised at, was that there was this scene playing out in front of them, where Jesus was playing out an engagement scene. What's going on with all that? Why so much weaving in of this husband imagery And then this engagement scene. What does John want us to get? When I moved out to California, I went to church almost immediately. My mom had been begging me to go to church. It had been a while since I'd gone to church regularly. But I went to this church, and I met this group, and boy, I became convinced that Jesus really did rise from the dead. It changed my life. And I spent so much time with this young adult, this college young adult group. But within two, three years, it had transformed into a young marriage group. Honestly, in two summers, 13 weddings came out of that group. And so all of a sudden, it was like, boom! You have this young marriage group. And then right around the same time, about two years after that, most everybody started having kids. So then we were like the young parents group. And one of the things we used to do for fun was share some of the funny stories that our kids would create. And I can remember one of the stories that was shared. This little boy, probably about the age of four or five, had written a poem. And the name of the poem was Hot Chocolate. And in the poem, he said, Hot chocolate is hot. Hot chocolate is creamy. Hot chocolate is chocolatey. I love hot chocolate. I love it like I want to marry it. I liked it too. It was classic. Loves hot chocolate like he wants to marry it. One of the truths that we can gather from this scene is that Jesus loves us. He loves you, and he loves me. He loves you like he wants to marry you. Jesus loves us. I like Rich's transition into the Scripture and the sermon, just when Rich mentioned that some of us have heard that for a long time. And we start hearing it so much that it's almost like we can say it without believing it. And so I'd like to just for a moment pause, believe again, consider again. Jesus loves us, changes everything. John, in a letter that he wrote, 1 John 3.16 said, This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down His life for us. He loves us. In this wedding scene, this engagement scene that we see in John 4, we're supposed to be reminded He loves us like He wants to marry us. When we think of the cross, The word that goes with the cross, among other words, but a word that goes with the cross, love. He loves us. When John identifies himself in the Gospel of John, if we were to read through the rest of it, when he speaks about himself, he refers to himself as the disciple who Jesus loved. The disciple who Jesus loved. He loves us. Well, I have a question. What are we supposed to do with this marriage theme? Because that's a little interesting, right? I love Jesus. He loves me. I don't often think of myself as married to him. For one, when I think of marriage, for me, it's marriage to my wife. What is Jesus getting at? And what does John want us to understand about marriage? And how does it relate to To Jesus. Well, the one word that best describes marriage in the Bible, the one word is union. That's why when it's first mentioned, when marriage is first mentioned back in Genesis 2, verse 24, it says, for this reason, a man will leave his mother and father and be united with his wife. The direct application from Jesus loving us like he wants to marry us is that we can be united with him. This too, it's a theme that John's going to keep hammering home. This is John chapter 4. When he gets into John 14, he's going to talk more about union. He's going to quote Jesus saying, don't you know when he's talking to his disciples that when you've seen me, you've seen the Father? Because the Father and I are one. We're united. And then in John 15, Jesus talks about the vine and the branches. That's a picture of union. Remain in me. And I'll remain in you. And you'll bear much fruit. In John 17, Jesus says a prayer. He says a prayer for His disciples who are present. And He says a prayer for all of us who will believe later based on their testimony. And the prayer goes like this. It says, Father, may they be united. May they be one, even as we are one. I am them and you in me. That's union talk. That Jesus unites Himself with us. He loves us like he wants to marry us. He loves us that much that he would unite himself, become one with us. I don't know if there's any of you who are here who have never made this decision to follow Jesus, to believe, to be united with him. In the passage we just read here in John 4, Jesus approaches the woman at the well, and he asks her her for a drink. And when she gets surprised by, why are you talking to me? I'm a Samaritan woman. He said, if you knew who it was that was speaking to you, you would ask him for a drink. And then he would give you living water that what Jesus invites this woman, woman to have is a water that meets all her needs, that finally her thirst will be quenched forever. That He tells her, you drink this water from that well, you're going to be thirsty again. He said, but if you drink the water that I offer you, you will never thirst again. Jesus offers us His Spirit, His life, In us. That this water, that this living water, it's His Holy Spirit that He offers to us. That if we're willing to say, I believe. And this is how Jesus challenges the woman in John 4. He says, believe me. Believe me. That at the end of the story, He says, believe me, a time is coming and has now come. When all who are going to worship the Father have to worship in spirit and in truth. that he's offering his spirit. And he says, this is how you relate to God. And then he touches on something with her. In the story, he said, go get your husband. And she responds by what? Saying, I don't have one. And Jesus says, wait, you're right. You've had five husbands. And the one you have now isn't your husband. Where was this woman running to, probably among other things, in an effort to quench that thirst that she could never quench? She was moving into her relationships hoping that these relationships could meet her needs. Have you ever tried to get your needs met through specific relationships? How has it gone? That what Jesus is touching on here is you can pursue these relationships with these husbands, you're never going to get your thirst met through there. He's not saying That the relationship with the spouse or any of our relationships aren't important. But what he is saying is, your thirst won't be quenched through those. That he can quench our thirst. Oh, relationships are so critical, but now we move into them in Christ with our needs met. No longer do I approach my spouse or my parents or my kids or any of my friends or anybody. I can't approach thinking, I need you to meet this need in me. He meets my needs. And now we move into these relationships not needy, but ready to give. If anybody here has never asked Jesus to meet that thirst that you can't quench. I'd just like to give you a moment to do that, an opportunity to do that. So I'd like all of us to bow our heads and close our eyes. And with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, if there's anybody here who has come thirsty, with needs that you need to have met, but that you have been unable to find anyone to meet that need. And you would like to believe for the first time that Jesus is who he said he is, that he is the Messiah, just like he told this woman, that he's the one who can meet her needs, If you'd like to do that, all you have to do in this moment is believe. Believe that Jesus is who he said he is. That he can meet your needs. I'd like to give you that opportunity right now to believe. If there's anybody with your head still bowed and eyes closed, if there's anybody out there who for the very first time came to the conclusion that I believe and you trusted Jesus to meet your needs, to quench that thirst that you have not been able to quench, would you please raise your hand? Thank you. Can I open your eyes? Last time I forgot to say everybody opened their eyes and it was like people stuck for a long time. Like when are we supposed to open our eyes? For those of you who raised your hand or, or didn't and just for the first time believe that, I'd love to encourage you, don't try to do it alone. There is a page right here in your weekly that says Get Connected. I encourage you to fill it out. Leave it at the Welcome Center on your way out or come forward after the service. I'd love to meet you and talk more to you. Jesus loves us. He loves us like He wants to marry us. He offers this opportunity to us to be united with Him. And here's the thing. This love He has for us, it changes us. I think it's a fair question to ask. Why are we talking so much about marriage on a baptism Sunday? What does marriage and baptism have to do with each other? Well, I think we already mentioned that the best word to describe marriage is union. It is also the best word to describe baptism. That in Romans 6, verses 1 through 5, Paul says, we have all been baptized into His death. And since we have been united with Him in His death, we will also be united with Him in His resurrection. That this concept of union with Christ, and that's what we all have. That as believers, we are the bride of Christ. We are united with Him. That we are changed. His love and this union that we have by grace through faith changes everything. Recently, I heard a quote from a man It really rocked me. I think part of the reason it shook me up so much was all the suffering that he had gone through. Just a few months ago, this one gentleman had gone through a real serious illness. One that we weren't sure how this was going to play out. But there's been good news since then. He's moved through it. He looked like he was coming out on the other end. But just recently he heard more bad news. And this news may have been worse than the first news. And he said something this week as we were talking to him about how sorry we are and that we'll be praying for him. And that we're hoping he can still trust God even in this situation. And he said, oh yeah. I discovered a long time ago that my agenda doesn't work for me. That that's the idea of being united with Christ and united with His death and resurrection. That there's this old agenda that we can still pick up and grab, an agenda that we have for our own lives, for the lives of our kids or our parents or our spouse. That when we grab that old agenda... It's like being married and then living like you're not married. That doesn't work. <laughs> Ask anybody. That when we're united with Christ, we no longer live like before we were united with Christ. That our agenda in that old life, it's gone. And now we're moving into this new life. We can even see it in baptism, right? Right? We take the person who's being baptized and it's like they go under the water, gone, dead to the old life, and then boom, like resurrection, pop out of that water to new life. And this new life we have, it's Christ's life in us. And John quoted Jesus and gave us a very simple line to remember as we move forward with his agenda A line that illustrates clearly what that agenda might be. That in John chapter 13, verse 34, Jesus said, I give you a new command. And the new command is this. Love one another. Even as I have loved you, so you must love one another. As we turn now to these baptisms, I pray that as we watch them, we could be reminded that Jesus loves us. He loves us, and by grace, he unites himself with us. Married into him, baptized into him. Old agenda's gone. New agenda. Love like he loves, and Jesus loves us a lot. (laughs)